This is Issues 2020. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Wichita City Council Member Brandon Johnson. Hey, welcome to the show. Nice to have you with us this morning. Hey, Steve. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, it's too bad we can't be talking face-to-face in the studio, but we have to do things by phone here because of the pandemic. What Do you, do you think the city of Wichita is taking the right approach to the pandemic overall? Yeah, I think so. I mean, government-wise and uh, the majority of our citizens are, are trying to do what they can to make sure that they slow the spread and flatten the curve here. And Even with cases going up, I've seen a lot more people wearing masks, trying to social distance and being polite about it. You know, there's a few cases where, where that's not the case, but I think we're definitely starting to go down the right track. How are you personally handling this strange new pandemic world? I mean, for me, being uh, shut up in the house all the time sometimes gets to be not only annoying, but almost, uh, you know, depressing. How, how are you handling it? Yeah, you know, it was like that early on with the stay-at-home orders, you know, really trying to do our best to stay in the house. And I was kind of the designated shoppy to go out and get groceries and stuff. So it, it became a lot. And we've got three kids, and they were always there and wouldn't let us work. But um, here recently, you know, I've, I've gotten outside, I've done some more walking, so it's kind of been a transition to get more in touch with that and getting some time to enjoy nature. It's been awful hot, but uh, I think you're right. A lot of people have gotten out for the first time in years and, and gotten outside and get a little exercise. Yeah, if you go early, you can beat the heat. I'm normally out at 6 or 6.30, but... <laughs> That's a good idea. You know, uh, no one seems to have a good idea of just when we'll get back to normal. It's, that's the strange part. Yeah, I think normal's uh, is going to be ever-changing for good. I think some of the practices will stay. I, I think people will socially distance just in general, especially when we get into flu season. Uh, that might be a practice. I think more people will just carry masks on them going forward, even when the threat of coronavirus has been uh, minimized. Um, I just think things have been changed. But hopefully, you know, as we begin to continue the, these safe practices, we can get back into doing some of the activities that we love and, you know, trying to hang out with one another. You, now, you represent District 1. What are the geographic uh, boundaries of District 1? What What is that neighborhood? Uh, it, it's uh, some funny lines, but the, basically the northern boundary is 53rd Street. So we go around Bel Air out to 53rd. Uh, eastern boundary at Kellogg is Woodline. It's Woodline all the way up to 21st Street. And then it takes in the Comaterra Homeowners Association. At 29th Street, it goes over the Rock. And then from uh, 29th out to 37th, it stays at Rock. The western boundary is 135. Um, until you get down to 17th Street, then it goes down to Washington and 17th and Washington, all the way down to Douglas and Washington, and everything between Douglas and Kellogg to the river is District 1, and then it goes out south, um, southeast Boulevard, down to Mount Vernon. So, so it's a it's a really big district. So it's not a perfect square or a rectangle. It's, no, no, it's funny <laughs> shaped. <laughs> okay. Now, you were elected in 2017, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Now, what what inspired you to run for, for city council? Uh, the community. You know, I, I never actually wanted to be in public office early on. I, I loved doing what I was doing as a as an activist and having a nonprofit and doing community gardens and working on law enforcement, community relationships. And I ran a summer job program for a number of years and just really kept at it in that way. But during those times, I'd always have community members reach out to me and tell me that I should consider running for office and Ultimately, I, I did after speaking with Mayor Brewer and, and a few other folks and talked to my wife about it. She said, you know, we should at least consider it because there's always an educational time with as an activist with an elected official about why an issue is important, how it impacts people 
and trying to get their perspective. And we figured it'd be easier since I know those things as an activist to kind of get in and make sure that voice of the community was always heard as we're looking to move our city forward. Well, yeah, your years in community work, then that's pretty good uh, training ground, I would think, for, for being involved with the city council. Oh, it, it's perfect. You know, you get criticized while you're out there outside of office. You get wins while you're outside of office. So you kind of learn how to deal with both. And when you get into office, of course, every decision you make is either going to make someone happy or upset. So you kind of learn how to deal with that and being out in the community, engaging people one-on-one, uh, you kind of gain a better uh, respect, I think, from one another. So you, when you get in the office, you're already humble. You, mm-hmm. you know that these people are just like you mm-hmm. and you can uh, build from there. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, if you will, where you went to school and grew up, what, what you were doing when you were, when you were a little kid. Yeah, so I grew up here in Wichita. Actually, most of my life has been in District 1, uh, first around 15th and Fountain, and now over by Wichita State. Uh, went to uh, high school. I went to Northeast Magnet. I always joke it's the greatest high school in, in Wichita, but I went there, graduated. Um, I played football while I was in high school for both Heights and West. I was the starting quarterback at West my junior and senior year. And then I went to uh, Friends University for a number of years on football scholarship. I uh, ended up over at Wichita State uh, to finish up and um, just always been involved. I mean, community service has kind of been my whole life from the age of nine when I met my mentor, Tommy Benford, until until now. It was something that Tommy helped inspire me to, to give back and see the importance of it's not about just me. It's about what I can do for others and how I can help empower my community. Brandon, I knew there was something really good about you. I just found out what it is. You're a pioneer. How about that? <laughs> there we go. West Stock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a class of 68. I actually played a little quarterback over there myself back, back in the day. Hey, there we go. Two quarterbacks. <laughs> and I went to friends for a while, so it's a small world, you know. Perfect. I was following your footsteps. <laughs> well, you didn't know it, and that's good. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk to you. Let's get a little more serious for just a minute because I had heard uh, or seen somewhere a story that uh, when you were a kid, you had a, a run-in with the police uh, that may have maybe have shaped the way you feel about uh, the police and so forth. Could you relate that to us this morning? Yeah, one in particular. I've had several run-ins with law enforcement. Um, most of them, I would say, were, were unwarranted. Uh, but the one in particular that, that everyone talks about was my first time being arrested. And it was after a concert at the River Festival, and I had witnessed um, an officer kind of exuding what I felt was excessive force. There was a young man on the ground. He was crying for his mom. He was under control of the officer. The officer had uh, two knees in his back, mid-back, not up by the neck. And uh, he can, he told the, the young person to stop resisting. Well, I mean, if you've ever had a knee in your back, especially around your spine, it hurts. So you're going to move. You're not going to just sit there. Um, so I kind of said something to the supervisor about, you know, this is wrong. You should know better. <clears throat> the supervisor was black. So I kind of felt like, you know, with the history in America, he might say something and he didn't. Um, what he ultimately said, because I continued to say this was wrong, was if I didn't shut up, that would be me. Um, so my language got a lot more colorful than I'll share on the radio, but um, I didn't shut up. Immediately, I saw what happened to another young person. I said something again, and ultimately, uh, that supervisor and four other officers came, and one punched me in the mouth. I had a few punches in the back, a baton, I think, to the leg. Finally got me on the ground, had a couple knees in my back as well. Um, and from then I kind of felt like, you know, that was unjust. I was calling out a wrong. There was no reason to arrest me. Felt like my rights had been violated. And, uh, 
for the next year or so, I, I really couldn't stand law enforcement, had an adversarial reaction to law enforcement. But because of my mentor, Tommy, and the program I was in, I knew three officers that I actually trusted, and they challenged me to, rather than hate law enforcement, why don't I stand up and try to do something to get policies changed to make sure that other people wouldn't be treated that way? So it took about a year for me to get to a point where I felt I could handle doing that without just being mad at an officer when I saw him. But that's really what inspired me to start speaking out about uh, law enforcement. And it was never, once I got it in my head, it was never anti-law enforcement. It was just making sure that our peace officers protect everybody equally. We don't use excessive force because we don't have to. And we try to do our best to make sure everyone goes home. And that's kind of been a goal of mine since then. How, how old were you at that time when you had that run in? 19. 19. Well, you know, teenagers have a way of just not being able to clam up. I know. I was there, too. Well, that's, that's an interesting experience. And you, you could have taken that and just made it a lifetime of hatred. But it seems like you were smart enough to process what was going on. And it said you got yourself a mentor and, and things worked out for the best there, I guess. huh? Yeah, well, you know, my mentor was there from the beginning, but the, I think one of the key factors is Dr. King has been a hero of mine since I was a child, and I would always kind of think about, you know, if I could just have just a fraction of the impact on giving back that he did, I would have a, a definite good life, and one of those things was standing up against injustice, and as I thought about the anger I had, it was, I can just be mad about it, and I can be like other people and, and say the stuff you see, the uh, FTP stuff, or I could really try to get in there, get to know folks, see where the good officers were and work towards rooting out any of the bad officers and the bad actions like that. And I felt like that was something Dr. King would do. And it really inspired me to try to do the same. Well, I'm going to tell you as, as a white person, Dr. King, the way he handled himself and the way that he put up with the stuff he did and uh, with the patience and the tolerance, he uh, very, uh, very a manly figure for all of us to look up to. He set a good example, no doubt about it. Yeah, he did. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the death of uh, George Floyd there in Minneapolis and, and the many protests that followed. How did, how did you think the, the protests were handled here in Wichita? I thought they were really good. Uh, the organizers here in, in Wichita sought to make sure that the issue stayed the issue, that people came out in support of the issue being the murder of George Floyd, as well as law enforcement um, policy change. And when things could go south, they didn't. I mean, there were a lot of things that happened at the protests where people self-policed. So we had our law enforcement standing off um, in a distance. And if someone kind of got out of hand or began to try to antagonize protesters, organizers always stepped in really quick and said, hey, this is not our purpose. We are here for one purpose. Let's keep moving. And that was uh, it was beautiful to see me and other council members went out to several protests and rallies just to hear what some of the demands were uh, as we began to draft our response to it. So we received those demands from everybody. And, and I think protesters and organizers um, felt like they were heard. We saw that later in the media that once we responded, they said they felt like we had heard them. But that was our goal. Rather than put out statements, we wanted to get out there and listen, show that they were heard, try to get some policies changed. We've already changed a number of policies, uh, and we're still listening to them to see what we can continue to do better. But everything here, I think, went smoothly. Um, we had two incidents that got reported on. I think a window got broke out in one business. Um, and they've since, I think, reopened. And then the quick trip, um, I think I heard the door was unlocked and 
some kid ran in there and then that stuff happened. But even then, organizers came over and was like, hey, we don't do this. And that type of stuff uh, went away. It only happened those two times. There's, were there violent incidents, but were they actually related to the protests or just protests no, getting out of hand or what? From what I heard, there were just some folks there that wanted to, to start some stuff, and they weren't a part of the actual protest. And all of those things happened when the organizers and the uh, purposeful protesters left. Yeah. So it was whoever it came later just to just to be around some action. You're listening to Issues 2020 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Wichita City Council Member Brandon Johnson. Uh, is the Wichita Police Department doing what needs to be done to encourage proper treatment of all citizens? Is the training good enough, do you think? Uh, training, um, I think, is decent. It needs to be better, and Chief Ramsey's talked about that over the years. As an activist, that was one of the things I continued to talk to the city about. And when Chief Ramsey was hired, that was one of the key areas we wanted to talk about was crisis intervention training, some form of mental health training, because now that's been kicked to law enforcement, too, and cultural competency to make sure that officers understood the different cultures that they were interacting with and what would be seen as respectful and not. Again, respect goes both ways. So we wanted to make sure that happened. We've been trying to get uh, improved training with the police department over the years, and it's continuing to get better. But I think we've still got a ways to go. And uh, we've been working with Chief Ramsey on that, and he continues to highlight more opportunities where our officers can go get better training. Well, and you, you hit on something there that I've talked to Ramsey about this and other people, and the fact that there are some some uh, folks running around out there uh, with some mental uh, challenges and so forth who probably should be institutionalized or at least better cared for when it comes to mental problems, and they bring that to the police every day sometimes. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, you know, we really need help from all of our partners. The state legislature, uh, over a number of years during uh, some prior administrations, cut funding to mental health, calm care. We have, uh, I believe Ramsey said, 5,000 less mental health beds in the state of Kansas since the 90s. And when you add all of that up to where we are now and what law enforcement has to deal with, they're normally the ones that get called out. So we've got to find a way for our legislature to support more funding for those types of services so we can take that away from law enforcement and put it into the hands of trained professionals that can deal with those types of mental health issues and other homeless issues. Give me your thoughts on, on the idea of defunding police. Is this something that's worthwhile uh, in your estimation? So it, it depends. There's two definitions of that. Um, I know a lot of people focus on the term defund the police, but there's one definition that basically says stop de- stop militarizing your police. So any funds you were going to spend on tanks and military type gear for your law enforcement, shift that into social services. Um, I actually agree with that. I don't think our police should be militarized, um, but that doesn't mean abolish them. There is, a, I think, a group that wants to abolish some police. That That's not the definition. I think the majority of folks in Wichita are talking about really the pushes for more funding into social services. And what they've used is the uh, general fund budget numbers of our police department versus like homelessness or other social services. Some of that is kind of misrepresented because we also have federal dollars that come in. So we do much more investment in the homelessness and social services and housing than what's been kind of spread out there. But we definitely could do more of that. But I don't think that's a takeaway from police to do it. It's a how do we prioritize our budget in a way that emphasizes those areas, the social services, taking care of the least of these and making sure everybody has a hand up. Because when you do those things, you reduce a need for law enforcement as much. So then that frees up law enforcement to be able to actually build relationships rather than go from call to call to call like they are now. So it 
it makes sense when you think about it and making sure you fund those services and empower the community. And Wichita already has, uh, help me if I'm wrong on this, but several teams that are specially designed, I think they're like a police officer, a social worker, and they'd go out in certain circumstances uh, to diffuse situations like that, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's called ICT-1, the Integrated Care Team, and they do a great job. Now, we need to put more funding into that, um, but that's also city and county, so we would need our county partners to help out with that too, and I think they're supportive. I mean, the numbers have been great. When they show up, um, they do a great job, so it would be nice to have, you know, multiple units of those ready 24-7, they uh, only operate a limited amount of time right now. So that's one way we are all already doing some of what's being demanded, but we can put more dollars into that to expand it. And again, it helps everybody when we do that. Uh, many American cities are rethinking uh, public statues and memorials. Um, could you share your thoughts on that? I understand why some of those cities are. You know, uh, last year, my family and I went to uh, Birmingham. It was my first trip to the South as an adult. And being just a black man in America, knowing what I've learned and seeing what I've seen in books and to be there in person and to see it, I can understand why um, people of color and, and, you know, some of our white allies feel a certain way about seeing Confederate monuments because the Confederacy really fought to support slavery. When people talk about states' rights and tariffs and all of that, well, the tariffs would have been on the product that came from free labor, the slaves. The state's rights were in order to keep slavery there so they could have the free labor to boost their economy. It always tracked back to slavery. So I understand why folks would want to move, remove those statues. Here in Wichita, we've only got, to my knowledge, uh, at the Veterans Memorial Confederate Reconciliation statue. Hasn't really had a lot of conversation just yet. There was a few years ago when we got the Confederate flag removed. Um, Again, I understand why those symbols are things that people want to take down. If we're talking about uh, American pride and pride in America, we don't have to celebrate the Confederacy to have pride in our country. The Civil War, the Union side won. So essentially, we should be supporting and uplifting that, the fight for good, the fight against the evils of slavery and the accomplishments thereof and highlighting those types of things not the Confederacy. Well, taking those statues down, then it's not really denying history, but maybe using it as a tool to teach history in this controversy that's going on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all of that stuff, we should never erase our history. Uh, most of these uh, monuments or names and information really belong in museums, and we should go to those museums. We should know our American history. We should know the sins of the past so we can try to do better and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, but they don't necessarily have to be up in front of you in a downtown or some other space for yeah. that to happen. Let's talk about McAdams Park for just a minute, if we will. The, the swimming swimming pool there, recently renamed after architect Charles McAfee. And by the way, his his reputation is is something a lot of people don't know about. But that guy is was a pretty good reputation as an architect. What is the importance of that park and the baseball field and the pool there at McAdams? Yeah, that that's actually a really long uh, story to get into how important it is, but um, I'll try to simplify it. So uh, the black community, when we look at gentrification, uh, urban renewal, and redlining, used to be downtown. And through um, redlining and some other efforts and then making the central business district, the black community historically was pushed over into northeast Wichita. Um, since being here, Uh, There was that park. I think it was called McKinney Park. Initially, there was a golf course there. There was 
uh, an older swimming pool, some other amenities, all of those were taken away over time um, because of urban renewal when the highway went through and split Mac Adams Park or McKinney Park at the time. I took away the golf course and I think a part of the pool. So they rebuilt the pool and Mr. McAfee was the one that designed it. Um, his story on why it's all concrete is so that some of the uh, white supremacists or members of the KKK couldn't burn it down as they did some other structures in the black community. So that pool would stay no matter what. You could douse uh, gasoline on concrete. It's not going away. So that was the way he designed it and wanted to make sure that uh, he knew a young man that drowned. He put in the swimming lane so people could really learn how to swim. Like That was the point of it. The park became McAdams Park, named after a police officer, Emerson McAdams, who was just an amazing man from what I hear that really volunteered and everything, was a coach, was a social services person. I mean, anything you needed, he was that person. So the park was named after him. And there's a lot of iconic names at that park from Charles Goose Dowdy, who was a Harlem Globe trotter, yeah. later played tennis. Yeah. That's the tennis courts there. Antoine Carr, who made it to the NBA. That's the basketball courts. Barry Sanders, everybody knows Barry. No need for explanation there. That's the football fields. Uh, Rob Thurman on the baseball field. Um, some of the other baseball fields, I believe, will be named after Wichita's as well. And then the pool just made sense. Mr. McAfee designed it. He's a world-renowned architect. He even designed some facilities in the 1996 Olympics. We named it after him. He designed it. Uh, it was a great day. I know Mr. McAfee and his family was appreciated. But McAdams Park is a park that really highlights the names of great people from Wichita. Hey, thank you for some history there. I didn't know I didn't know some of that uh, at all. But uh, there is some history of civil rights uh, here in Wichita. The sit-ins in the fifties, uh, for one thing, and we had a couple, we've had two black mayors. Uh, do you think, think overall this is a racially tolerant community? Do we have a ways to go, Brandon? I think we still have work to do. I, I've been talking with pastors and visited a few churches. You know, 11 o'clock on the Sunday is still the most segregated hour in America. Still the same here in Wichita. Um, I think in Wichita, most of our issues, we just don't know the history of discriminatory actions and how that's impacted us. So sometimes it's kind of ignored or overlooked. Um, but I've seen since the protests and issues of George Floyd, as I talk to people about redlining, um, and I tell people, don't just listen, fact check me. You can Google it right now and yeah. find the 1938 map of red line Wichita and you'll see everywhere that's red is either the most gentrified part of town or still poor. And you can look that up right now um, and people are starting to see, wow, so we really did have these issues in Wichita. What can we do to, to impact it? And in those redlined areas, you couldn't get loans. Well, we still have issues getting loans in the low-income communities. The business community and the, or the black business community was destroyed with urban renewal. And some of that, we're trying to build that back. But people are beginning to open their eyes and see like, oh, this happened here. We need to work on that as well. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, getting to know you. you. You got a good handle, I think, on what's going on around town. And, and uh, are you uh, are you at heart one of those uh, optimistic people who never has a bad day, or is it, are you just a realist? Uh, I, I'm a little bit of both. Um, real, real can get you down. You know, when you see the the mountain ahead of you, I'm optimistic in our city and country that we can get to do the right thing and. Even as I get disappointed by some actions of some leaders and electeds, um, people always uplift me. And I, I get a phone call from someone who I might not have ever thought would call me about an issue. Hey, 
I want to learn more about this and tell me what I can do to help out. You know, those types of calls and messages let me know that there is hope for our future. Well, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Wichita City Council Member Brandon Johnson. That's all for this edition of Issues 2020. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.